Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Catholic Truth Podcast, where we are happy to teach and preach the truth of Jesus Christ in the Catholic faith. We have a very special guest with us today, Anthony Nosicki. Nosike. Nosike. I apologize for destroying your name. And uh, he's going to be joining us today for uh, a formal debate, which I'm very excited about. And it's a little bit odd because at Catholic Truth on our YouTube channel, we get attacked daily about the videos we post up. And we have anti-Catholics all the time yelling at us. And I very often challenge them, you know, to debate, you know, to a, you know, a friendly discussion like we're going to have today. And Every, every time I do that, 100% of the time, the, the other end goes silent and nobody ever takes me up on it. But then one day, Anthony and I were discussing and he challenged me to a debate. And I was like, oh, you know, figures the other way, you know, whatever. But hey, you know, we just have to, you can't just sit behind a computer screen all the time, people, and yell at everyone and, you know, just think you're all right just because you can post links instead of having an intellectual yeah. discussion. So I'm very happy that Anthony was, you know, glad to discuss these things with me. He, um, I'm going to read his bio in one moment, but uh, I'm very excited that we're doing this. And I really hope to have more debates like this in the future because we're all on a quest for truth. I, I have no doubt that my brother Anthony loves the Lord Jesus and I love the Lord Jesus too. So, you know, we're not going to be here just um, trying to straw man each other and, you know, try to take cheap shots at each other. We're both on yeah. a sincere quest for truth. And um, so, Without further ado, Anthony is 24 years old, and he's from New Jersey, and he used to be a Roman Catholic, and he was Roman Catholic for the first 19 years of his life, and he left the church in college when he read the New Testament. Then he became a charismatic Christian who loves God. He went to college for two years, but then left, and he desires to be a speaker, a pastor, an author, and a counselor. And he has a first book on the way. It's in the process of being edited right now. So that's great. Congratulations on your book. Thank you. And, um, Thank you. By the way, we both have, sounds like we're very similar because uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I went to a very charismatic Catholic college as well. Um, I am a speaker and an author and I love to counsel people. So we, we right. have a very similar uh, goal, which is great. Right. So if anyone hasn't uh, been here before and anyone doesn't know me, my name is Brian Mercier. I'm the president of Catholic Truth. I'm a professional Catholic speaker, evangelist, and author. And I've been a speaker and retreat leader for over 20 years. I speak to adults and teens around the country, and I love to preach and teach the faith. Uh, I'm also a YouTuber, a podcaster, and I'm the author of two books uh, so far with a few more coming out hopefully soon. Uh, Excuse me. I've been on TV and radio around the country, including Ave Maria Radio, Relevant Radio, EWTN, and Sirius XM Satellite Radio. I have a master's degree in theology with a concentration in church history, and I have been Catholic all my life. (laughs) Uh, So the way this debate is going to work is we're going to have different segments. Um, Anthony is going to start out. He has five minutes to... Tell us who he is, where he came from, why he left the Catholic Church, and then I'm going to have five minutes to say why I'm Catholic and why uh, I chose the Catholic faith, and then we're going to get more into the actual discussion and the core uh, debate of it. Uh, he'll have 15 minutes to lay out his side uh, of and what he, and just so you, you who are watching, just so you know, what we're trying to demonstrate today, what we're discussing today is is the Catholic Church the true church of Jesus Christ, or is the Bible alone what Jesus established? Anthony is going to be trying to 
uh, proof that Jesus started a Bible-only church. And the Bible is our guide, uh, a sole infallible guide on you know, faith, or I'll let him say how, whatever he believes. Uh, and he's also going to be showing or demonstrating in his mind why he doesn't think the Catholic Church is true. And then I will have 15 minutes to demonstrate why I do think the Catholic Church is true, why I do think Jesus started the Catholic Church, and why I don't think the Bible alone is true, and why, why I think it's a false doctrine. After that, we'll have two rebuttal periods, and then we'll have an open discussion at the end where we can question each other, ask questions, kind of like if we met up on the street and we just started dialoguing. I used to do street evangelization many years ago, and you just get into discussions on the street with people, and we're going to have about uh, 10 or 15 minutes of that at the end before we make our closing statements. So you ready, Anthony? Yes. Yep. All right. Thank you again for joining us. No problem. No problem. So um, hello, everybody. My name is Anthony Nosike, um, 24, as he said. Um, and, you know, I've been Christian all my life, you know, you know, was Catholic for the first 19 years. And, you know, I had a rough, um, a rough childhood growing up. Things wasn't really so easy for me. You know, I had lots of issues, um, you know, suicide, depression, um, you know, anxiety, lots of issues, lots of problems was going on. And um, I went to Nigeria. I went to Nigeria and I did school there. I'm from Nigeria. I was born there. And I did school in a Catholic boarding school. And, you know, I got the, you know, they gave everybody a Bible. And like, I guess that was like the first time I seriously started reading the Bible. Um, when I would leave the Catholic church, the Catholic school and go back to America. Um, I went to, I did like an extra year of high school. I did like four years of high school. I did five years of high school and um, little by little reading more of the Bible, reading more of what people believe, other religions, finding my way. And then, you know, when I started college, uh, I just made the decision that I just had to leave the Catholic church. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, like I, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a speaker. I want to do things. I'm getting myself settled. You know, I'm finding my way, um, finding out what I really like and what I don't like. So I'm still finding myself. But, um, you know, I, I, I study the Bible a lot. I study the Bible a lot. And I also study what people believe as well, because it's good to know what people believe, what people don't believe. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much about myself. Good for you. And before I start my statement, I just want to say that's really important. And I don't think enough people do that. I don't think people take time to study the other side. And they just, you know, maybe hear things and just, you know, yell at people, whether it's true or not. So I appreciate yeah. the fact that you take time to really, you know, try to find truth wherever it might be found. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Thank you. Sure.
and I'll reset the timer. I have five minutes as well. And I told Anthony before the show, everybody that if I go over, he can call me out and let me know. And I'll have to finish up my statement in a sentence or two. And if he goes over, I will let him know as well. And he'll finish up his statements in a sentence or two. So we both got each other's back here. So for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Brian. And I grew up in a Catholic family, oldest of six kids. We went to church every Sunday typical Catholic family. We went to confession every month or so. My parents taught me to pray since I was, I don't know, since I could talk, you know, and I'd pray for silly things like a bunny and a bike. And, you know, my prayer really didn't evolve by the time I got to high school. You know, I knew of God, but I never really knew God. You know, he was some old guy out there in my mind, judging me, looking down on me, very stern, very hard. You don't want to mess with him. He wasn't very loving. That was kind of my conception of God growing up. And maybe it was perhaps my father who I projected onto God, but uh, I ended up really frustrated many times in my faith. I was the person who asked a lot of deep questions. How do we know the Bible's true? How do we know God even exists? Why doesn't God answer my prayers? Why does God send people to hell? And most people would just look at me and say, uh, Brian, don't question God. Uh, you know, God is a mystery. You just have to have more faith. And you hear a lot of these cheesy answers growing up. And they're really, for someone in, an intellectual like me who doesn't just like to blindly believe, that's not helpful. So I was just like, you know what? You guys don't know the answer to my questions. Just get out of here. So I ended up going on a, a search uh, especially uh, my mom, kind of like Anthony, I went through a rough time in my life, very angry, very depressed, dressed in black, head to toe, carried weapons, wanted to hurt people, really just, was. I was like a ticking time bomb. I was a really nice guy most of the time. But if you hit that other side of me, I'm like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, it's like, uh-huh. like Columbine kids, you know, he just pushed them too far one day and they ended up shooting up a school. And I was kind of walking down a path like that. I used to write poetry about doing such things. I used to talk about killing people in slow, methodical ways. Like I had a really sick, dark mind. And I was very depressed every day. I didn't even look in the mirror for seven years because I hated what I saw. And I prayed every day. Uh, My parents taught me to pray. So I never stopped praying, even though I felt like God really didn't have my back a lot of the time. My mom was concerned about me. She was going to call the cops many times on me. And uh, she decided to take a different route. She decided to send me to a Catholic college and hopefully get some more Jesus in me. And uh, it was at this Catholic college that, you know, long story short, God literally changed my life. The Catholic college was half the Catholic college was very traditional and which I grew up with. Half of it was very charismatic and, uh, I had never heard of charismatic before, you know, people putting their hands up in the airs. And I mean, I used to do that at concerts, not at church, you know, but I used to make fun of those people until God changed my mind. And really, I really learned at this college to open myself up to the Holy Spirit, to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to not putting God in a box and letting him work, you know, basically letting him work the way he wants to work. And I ended up opening myself up to God so much there and he ended up changing my life. I mean, literally, It was like a St. Paul conversion where he just knocked me off my horse, you know, and just struck me with lightning. It was a radical conversion where I just have never felt so much peace, power, love, and mercy in my entire life. Like God transformed me inside and out, took away all my hate and pain and just replaced it with love and peace Mm -hmm. and joy. And he took away everything that was bad. And I just had overwhelming, overabundant, um, 
amounts of joy and peace and, and a, like a bubbling happiness that I had not had. And I can't remember how long. And it was after that, that I was like, yeah, yeah, I love God. And I wouldn't tell everybody. Everyone's like, shut up. We don't care. Don't preach to us. You know, you're too holy. Like, and no one could understand. And shortly after that, I ran into some Jehovah's Witnesses on the street corner who told me that Jesus wasn't God, who told me that Constantine started the Catholic faith. And they really shook my faith because while it didn't sound right to me, I didn't know the answers. So week after week, I went and researched the answers and brought it back to them. And they had more objections. And then I had to go look up more answers. I ran into fundamentalist Protestants and and I did that week for months and then years. And then, you know, I, I, after a while, they were running away and looking up the answers and coming back to me and trying to, you know, give me the answers. And that's been 20 years since that time. And I've loved Jesus ever since. And I've studied the, my faith ever since and all, all the other religions too, just in case. But I've come to believe in studying history and the Bible that the Catholic Church really is the true church of Jesus Christ. And I really love being Catholic. So that's my story. Awesome. Uh, so we're going to move into the uh, actual uh, core part of this now. And uh, Anthony, I'm going to reset the timer, will have 15 minutes to uh, present his case on why he thinks the Bible alone is true and why the, Jesus started a Bible-only church and why he believes that the Catholic Church is not true. So ready, Anthony, whenever you are. Okay. Yeah, so... Um... What I believe about Sola Scriptura isn't necessarily Bible only because, you know, people like Martin Luther, um, Calvin, and other Protestants also had, you know, they had um, their own theology. They had books as well. They had things that um, supported their belief system. Myself, I'm writing a book. Um, many other people have books to explain or express their um, theological um, stances. So what I believe about Sola Scripture is that, is that the scripture, what we have of the scripture, the 66 books in the Protestant Bible is the, is, is the authority that Jesus has given us physically is the, is the, is the word of God is the only book that claims to be, you know, the only book that basically claims to be God breathed. And because it's the only book that claims to be God breathed, I believe that um, it has to be the highest authority. So it's that book. It's, it's the, what's in the Protestant Bible and the spoken word of God, because I do believe that God speaks to people. You know, God speaks to people through um, dreams and visions and um, prophecy and things of that sort. So that's what I believe about Sola Scripture and that, you know, all dreams, prophecies, uh, visions, whatever, is to be compared with scriptures, to be, um, you know, is to align with scripture. And if it conflicts or contradicts with scripture, then I believe that that dream, vision, or prophecy is something worth rejection. And um, that's what I believe about Sola Scriptura. So um, with the Catholic Church, you know, I love the Catholic Church. I think they're great people, great human beings, you know. They've done a lot for the world, you know, lots of humanitarian efforts. Um, I, I love their passion and their zeal. 
but I feel as though the main error that Catholics have is not referring to the Bible, not having the Bible as a final authority, but having um, popes, bishops, leaders, priests, etc., you know, the, the magistrate, you know, be the final authority. And that's my issue. That's where, um, that's where a lot of Protestants disagree with the, um, with the Catholic Church. Um, I, I disagree with a host of Catholic doctrines, but, you know, for this debate, it's basically sola scriptura and, you know, the Catholic Church being the true church. So, um, yeah, that's that's basically what I have to um, present. You know, I'll you know I'll give an argument as to why I I believe that sola scriptura is biblical. Why I feel as though Catholics don't truly understand sola scriptura, and why I believe that. I mean, yeah, why I believe that you know that the Catholic Church isn't um, the the true church that Jesus has for us if you wouldn't mind anthony could you present those now since this is like the bulk of your presentation like i think this would be the best time to do that and then we can discuss them more as well afterwards okay sure um so a main reason why so like i took a lot of notes i'll be looking down in my notebook i'm taking notes um, too no worries yeah but um what i believe you know from first timothy uh three you know, verse 16 and 17 is that, you know, it's saying that scripture is God breathed. And, you know, we have some books that claim to be God breathed as well. You know, the Mormons claim that their book is God breathed. Jehovah's Witness claim that their teachings are God breathed, etc. And it's like, you know, my, my argument with Catholics is that, you know, if it's if the Bible claims to be God breathed, then in verse 17 of that same chapter, so Mormons and Jehovah's Witness, you know, they believe that their teachings, their books are God breathed as well. And the reason why those faiths are um, regarded as false is because of the contradictions, and that's what I believe to be the same issue with the um, with the Catholic faith. Um, how much time do I have left? You have 10 minutes, nine minutes. Some contradictions that I have with the Catholic Church, obviously praying to Mary, praying to the saints. Um, I don't believe the Eucharist is literal. I don't believe Jesus Christ literally is the bread and literally um, is the wine. Is you know, I don't believe that. Um, I, I don't believe uh, Peter was the Pope. And I, I feel like that's, that's where I'm going to go. So... You know, Peter did not think he was a pope. In First Peter chapter five, First Peter chapter five, verse one, we see that he calls himself a fellow elder. And you know, a, a fellow elder, that word fellow assumes that, you know, equivalence or um I guess not 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 necessarily equivalence, but like they're in the same status, they're they're on the same sphere. Um Again, in First Peter, we see that, you know, he calls himself um, a stone. You know, in First Peter chapter, um, First Peter chapter two, First Peter chapter two, verses 
in verses six through eight, you know, he calls Christ the cornerstone. And in verse four of that chapter, he says that we are being built up as stones as well, you know. So I believe that Peter definitely is the rock that the church was built upon, the stone that the church was built upon, according to what Jesus said in Matthew. But we are also stones. And, you know, this is Peter with his own mouth saying that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He's the, he's the, you know, the main rock. He's the, you know, he's the one that we are being built upon. So, like, we're all stones. And, you know, we're all being built upon Jesus as the rock. We're all being built upon Christ. And, you know, Peter calling himself an out, a fellow elder, to me, those scriptures make it clear to me that he did not think he was Pope. But I mean, other places that kind of make me suggest that he did not think he was Pope as well is seen in Acts, in Acts 15, um, you know, the council, you know, they're, they're trying to make a discussion or well, they're having a discussion and James make a final decision. You know, Peter is talking, I think everybody's talking in that chapter. I don't, I, I don't memorize, it's been a while since I read this chapter, but James making the final decision is, is kind of different from what we see today, where it's like the Pope makes the final decisions. You know, the Pope, you know, represents the church, but in this case, James represented the church. So that's some of the reasons why I, I don't believe that Peter was Pope. Um, I also don't see secession, you know, like somebody coming after Peter. I know that the, the church is built upon, you know, a foundation of apostles and prophets and this and that, you know, and, you know, I, I think some people have suggested that because it's built that way, then it will continue, continue, continue. But I, I just don't see evidence of continuing in that fashion, where it's like, you know, a single man would lead an entire church. I don't see evidence of that. Um, what I see in the scripture is, um, you know, basically, you know, leaders and, you know, when a leader dies, like if a leader dies, you know, somebody would not, they're not elect somebody like how they elected, um, you know, Matthias to be the apostle as well in Judas's place. I feel as though that type of thing would be what would um take place if a elder um is to pass or something like that so um i also disagree with the eucharist of course um i just feel like a host of their doctrines are in confliction with the scripture you know in confliction with the scripture um how much time do i have left before? uh four minutes if you want to use it um, I don't have to use it. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for your thoughts. Um, well presented. Um, and now I'm going to present as I stop this and reset, I'm going to present the Catholic side and why we do believe that the Catholic church is the true church and why we don't accept the doctrine of sola scriptura. If for our listeners, that means Bible alone. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so a lot of people will say that 
the word Catholic isn't in the Bible. Therefore, it's not true. I don't think Anthony holds to this. I mean, it's, I hear this a lot though, but just because a word isn't in the Bible doesn't mean it's not true, right? For example, the word Bible isn't in the Bible, you know, and if we're going by that logic, then we have a very big problem. And any Christian who's an actual Christian believes in the Trinity, even though the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, the the teaching of the word uh, Trinity is in the Bible. So we know that there's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus is God, etc. Um, it may not say that, it might not be clear, cut, and dry, but you can find it in Scripture. Same thing with the Pope. Just because the word Pope isn't in the Bible doesn't mean that it's not true because the teaching is all over Scripture. Um, <clears throat> in fact, Steve Ray was a Catholic convert who used to bring hundreds of Catholics out of the church using the Bible. And then eventually he discovered that the Catholic Church was true, converted to the Catholic Church, not only brought all of those people back in, but also has converted hundreds of others as well, including many Protestant pastors, because he realized that you can't read the Bible in English. The Bible wasn't written in English for Americans, um, like here for us in the United States. And you can't understand it in an American worldview. It's written by Jews, for Jews, with a Jewish worldview. And in order to understand that, in a sense, have to become Jewish. And when you do that, I mean, it overtly speaks of Peter as the Pope and understanding his primacy and his role as the head apostle and leader of the church. And uh, so I believe that the Catholic Church is true for many reasons. But first, because if you look at the Bible, nowhere does it teach the Bible alone. Nowhere does it say that the Bible is the only authority or the final authority or the only infallible source of faith. It never says that actually anywhere. So it's kind of a self-defeating proposition that the Bible alone isn't actually taught in the Bible. Jesus never teaches it. Paul never teaches it. If you look in the book of Acts, which is the first 100 years of the church, what you see is, well, what you won't see is are people all sitting around reading a book or reading scriptures, trying to figure out for themselves what it means and coming up with different contradictory interpretations. But what you will see is a as a church that has authority, a teaching and preaching authoritative church that was given by Christ. And the apostles had authority to correct and to reprove, to teach and to preach, to make doctrines, to lay hands on people and pass on their authority and ordain other people. They had bishops, they had elders, they have deacons. If you look at most of the Protestant non-denominational churches today, none of them have deacons. They don't have bishops. They don't lay their hands on people. They don't pass on their authority. The, the, most of the churches today have a very unbiblical model of what the early church was. Um, so we believe that the church that Jesus started wasn't based on a book. It was based on his own authority, which he gave to Peter and the other apostles as well. In Matthew 18, 15 through 18, Jesus gives his authority to the apostles. And he says, what you guys bind on earth will be bound in heaven and what you loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. These are rabbinic terms for authority and every Jew and, and scholar knows this. And so the apostles received Christ's authority. And that's why he said in Matthew 28, 19, to go out and preach. He didn't say, go give people a book and go write these down and have people read it for themselves. He said, go preach and teach to all nations, teaching them all I have commanded you. And 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in, in the chapter of Luke, chapter 10, he says, you know, he sends them out and he gives them power and authority over demons. He gives them his authority. And he says, he who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. So all over scripture, we see the apostles having authority. And Peter has a special authority because it was given to him by Jesus. And in order to understand this, we need to understand scripture. If you go back to Genesis 35 to 50, you have the story of Joseph uh, and you have Joseph who got sold into slavery by his brothers, right? And you have, uh, he, he goes into prison and when he gets sent to prison, he wasn't even guilty, but he was sent there for years. Eventually, interprets Pharaoh's dream and he gets raised up by Pharaoh. He actually receives an office and it's the office of royal steward. And anyone who studies this knows that the royal steward is the second in command to the Pharaoh himself. He rules and runs the country for the Pharaoh. And if the Pharaoh leaves and goes somewhere else, he is Pharaoh until Pharaoh returns. And so basically everybody uh, reports to the royal steward that's why you see in the book, everybody comes to uh, Joseph for everything, and Joseph gives the decrees and such. And the only one Joseph reports to is the Pharaoh himself. Likewise, many years later, the Israelites wanted that same model. They wanted to be like the ancient powerful kingdoms. And so they inherited this model, and they inherited this exact same office. And they didn't call it the royal steward. They called it the prime minister. Prime Minister, if you look in Isaiah 22, for example, you'll see there was a prime minister named Shebna, and he was corrupt, and he, he, wasn't, he was, wasn't well-liked, and in fact, he was deposed of. But Shebna, it says he had an office, it said he wore a royal robe, and it said he had the authority because he was given the key of David. And the key of David, if you receive the keys of the kingdom of David, I mean, we're, talking, we're not talking like keys you start your car with today, we're talking enormous keys like the size of like two by fours. And they had huge uh, grits on them so they could unlock the big gates of the city. If anyone carried these keys, they had all authority in the land under King David. They were second in command to King David himself and they, everyone answered to them. And if King David left to do business or something, they would rule in his place while he was away. And the only people that they uh, reported to was the king himself. So the, Jesus is a king in the line of David. And this is the office 100% that he gave to Peter. And we know this just because of the passage in Matthew 16, 18, and 19. And we, we could see the parallels. Uh, in fact, uh, I'll give a couple of them right now. But Jesus says that you are rock. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell or the gates of the netherworld will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And what you, Peter, bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So here we clearly see that Jesus is starting a church, not a thousand churches, not countless competing denominations that all think they're correct and are all contradicting each other. But he's starting one single church that has his authority and he's building it on the rock of Peter, which Anthony rightly said earlier. I'm glad he, he said that. 
um, a lot of people wouldn't say that. So I'm glad that he did because Peter is the rock. And in fact, he's called the rock both in Aramaic and in Greek in the Bible. Even Peter calls him, I mean, uh, Jesus calls him the rock. He calls him Cephas, which is a transliteration. Cephas does not mean stone. It actually means rock. It's a transliteration of the, the Aramaic word kepha. And so when he calls him Cephas, he calls him rock, the same name that he changed his name to. Because keep in mind, his name was Simon and it became rock, became Peter in English. Um, likewise, Peter, Paul, all over the New Testament, calls Peter Cephas. He calls him rock. He calls him by the name that Jesus changed it to. Now, this is incredibly significant because name changers are incredible. Like anytime somebody has their name changed, you have to ask why. It's incredibly important. It's a change in status, an elevation in status, an elevation in mission itself. If you look at Abram, who was a father, he became Abraham, who's the father of all nations. I mean, he was elevated in status and in mission that God gave him. Same thing with Jacob, who became Israel, the father of all the 12 tribes of Israel. And now Peter has his name changed to rock, the same rock that Jesus is building his church on. And it's very interesting that Jesus took them 70 miles out of Jerusalem up into Caesarea Philippi to do this. Well, he could have called Jesus the rock anywhere, but he took him to Caesarea Philippi way up in Gentile land because there's a 50 foot by 500 foot rock there. And on top of that rock, there was a palace to the divine Caesar Augustus, who people had to worship as a god, and he was called the Prince of Peace. And below the palace, below the big rock, was a bottomless pit, which the ancient Israelites uh, called the the gates of the netherworld. And they believed that the gods lived down there. They used to throw sacrifices down into that pit. And so Jesus at this place says, you are rock. And upon this rock, not that false rock with a false temple and false gods, false worship, upon this rock, you, Peter, who are going to be built on me, the ultimate rock, the ultimate cornerstone, upon you, I am going to build my church. And the gates of the netherworld, the same one that was in that bottomless pit, are not going to prevail against it. And so we see this incredible symbolism that not only does he say, I'm going to build a church on the rock, you are the rock, and he specifically changed... I mean, how many billions of names are there? He changed Peter's name to rock. Could have been to anything. He changed it to rock because he is the rock. And I don't think we disagree on that. Um, but the, the name change signifies the fact that he has a primacy and the fact that Jesus gave him the keys of the kingdom, which shows that he has the same office in mind as Eliakim. And just as he said in Eliakim, if you read Isaiah 22, it, the, the terms of authority that King David gives to Eliakim, who is the new royal, I'm sorry, the new prime minister, he says, because you have this authority, what you open, no one shall shut, and what you shut, no one shall open. And he says to Peter, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, what you loose. Even Protestant scholars see the parallels and can see that Jesus is creating a similar office here. And I have a ton of Protestant scholars, theological dictionaries and lexicons and such that all admit this that aren't Catholic. They're all Protestant, and even they see this. So we can see that Jesus is giving starting the church on the foundation, which Anthony rightly said, the apostles are the foundation of the church. Now, the Bible calls Jesus the foundation, but it also says that the apostles are the foundation. What, which is it? Well, it's both. They're just using different metaphors in different circumstances in different ways. It said that in the Old Testament, it said that God was the rock. But in Isaiah 51, it said Abraham was the rock. 
Of course, he's not the rock in the same way that God is. And Jesus, Peter is not the rock in the same way Jesus is. Jesus is our ultimate cornerstone and Peter is built on him. So because he had the keys of the kingdom, he received the ultimate primacy. And this is spelled out all over the Bible. I mean, if you look throughout the Bible, I mean, just look at Peter, just in the book of Acts or in the New Testament, Peter's mentioned 195 times. All the other apostles, the next mentioned apostle is St. John at 29 times. I mean, think about the, the, the magnanimity of that, 195 times to 29. And all the other apostles are hardly mentioned after that. So you have Peter going through the New Testament. He's the spokesperson. If you look at the list of apostles in Matthew 10, uh, Luke 8, Matthew 3, Mark 16, and so on, you see Peter and the others, Peter and the apostles, Peter and the disciples. Go tell Peter. Go tell the apostles, but also tell Peter. Like Peter, 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 it's like it's almost obsessive. It's Peter who preaches. It's Peter who leads. It's Peter who baptizes 3,000, who welcomes the Gentiles into the land. And I think my friend Anthony here was a little bit mistaken in Acts 15, verse 11. Uh, it actually was Peter who settled the argument. The Jews would not listen to Paul, they would not listen to Barnabas, and they wouldn't even listen to James. And in Acts 15, 11, it said, Peter came down, it says, we are saved by grace alone. And the very next verse says, at that moment, everybody fell silent. So Peter had spoken and everybody fell silent. So not only do we see that Jesus gave Peter a special role, a primacy, and of course, we don't worship the Pope or anything silly like that, but just as uh, Pharaoh had a royal steward and King David had a prime minister, so Jesus has uh, a, an office in his church that Peter runs, and he's not the only one. The apostles have authority too. And we see this throughout the early church. If you look in the book of Acts, do they go to the scriptures or to the Bible if they have problems? No, they go to the, Bi they go to the apostles. Peter solves the issues. Paul solves the issues. They go to the people who have authority. Nowhere do you see them consulting the Bible over and over, disagreeing or arguing about the Bible. And if people don't believe the Catholic Church was started by Jesus, then you have to say, okay, well, then who did start the Catholic Church? What year did it happen? How long did it take? See, most people would say that it's Constantine, but Constantine came about in 317 AD, and there were over 30 popes in existence long before Constantine was even born. And if you look at any encyclopedia under a P uh, or history book for papacy, you'll see 266 popes all the way from the Pope today, all the way back to the time of Jesus, because the Catholic Church is the only church that goes back to the time of Jesus. It's the only church that can trace its lineage back to the time of Christ. All of the earliest Christians, for those people who read the writings of the earliest Christians, not only did they claim to be Catholic, they claimed that Peter had a primacy, they claimed to be part of the Church of Rome, they claimed um, that Jesus had started baptism, which means you're born again, and really distinctively Catholic doctrines. Every early Christian who talked about it claimed to be Catholic. And all of the other churches broke away starting a thousand years later, but more Mr. Jehovah's Witnesses, non-denominational churches, Pentecostals, all of them were started by different men at different times in history. So in conclusion, all of these other churches are all man-made, and only the Catholic Church goes back to the time of Christ, uh, which is a teaching and preaching authoritative church, which put the Bible together infallibly in the first place. And that's why some of the reasons why I think that Jesus started the Catholic Church and not a Bible-only church. Um, and that's what I would say. So from here, uh, we're going to let Anthony go into his seven-minute uh, rebuttal which means he can reemphasize things that he's already said or add more information, um, give a little bit more on that, or he could uh, refute 
or try to debunk or comment on things that I've said. And then I'll have some seven minutes to do the same thing for, for him. Go ahead, Anthony. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a common claim that, you know, the early church went to apostles and, you know, went to the disciples, went to the leadership of the church for decisions. But there's numerous places where, you know, it was commanded by both Paul and Peter for them to read the scriptures, for them to, you know, for people to go to the scriptures. Um, in Acts 17, verse 11, Acts 17, verse 11, we see that um, Paul commends the, the Bereans. You know, we see that, you know, they were called noble, right? The Bereans were called noble and, you know, they received the word with eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. So, you know, this is one group of Christians in their early church who had the mindset of, um, let me go back to the Bible to see if something is true. Let me see if something is true. You know, I, I believe that it is important and awesome to, um, you know, submit to authority, <clears throat> submit to leadership, you know, submit to um, the elders of the church, the disciples, the apostles, because they are the people that the church is built upon. However, we must also go back to the scriptures to see, you know, if something is true, as did the Bereans. In Mark, in Matthew chapter four, we see that the enemy is tempting Jesus and you know, the enemy quotes scripture to Jesus. And we see that, you know, Jesus quotes scripture back to the enemy. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 to 14, you know, they, they're going back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, the scripture was used by the enemy in a false way to deceive. And, you know, Jesus, who is God himself, knew that he had to go back to the Bible in order to, you know, you know, because like he knew that the word that the Bible had authority, that the, the Bible is the word of God. So he knew how important it was. So he went back to the Bible to prove his argument, you know, against the enemy. So it's very important to go back to the Bible so that you can know for sure if something is of God or if it's not of God, if it's taken out of context, etc. Um, that's why I really believe it's very, very vital. Let me go to some places where um, Peter himself, yeah, First Peter chapter 1 verse 10 says, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired of this salvation. You know, that's verse, um, that's verse 10. What was that? 1 so, Peter 1.10? 1, 1 Peter 1.10, yeah. So, you know, they prophesied of the grace that, you know, the church presently had, right? And, you know, they, you know... He, this is Peter here talking about the prophets, talking about what they prophesied. In verse 16 of the same chapter, it says, you know, be holy in your conduct since it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. That's verse 16, 15 and 16. 
And, you know, as Peter, again, going back to the scriptures, um, so, yes, Peter had authority in the church, but he did not conflict with scripture. He constantly went back to scripture to prove his point, to um, prove what he believed, to explain what he believed. Um, And Paul does the same thing. You know, Paul does the same thing. Um, Paul does the same thing, but I'm looking for a verse. <laughs> oh man, this is my first debate, guys. So forgive me, honestly, because I've welcome. never done, never done something like this. But I know that, you know, I got to keep growing and you know do stuff that's different. Amen. But um, what's the verse? But, what, what's it about? Uh. I have a bunch of verses here. Like, I'm not going to look through it. Um, okay. I, I, I could be wrong, to be honest. I have a bunch of verses here. But I'm going to go, um, how, much, how much time do I have left? Uh, about one minute and 15 seconds. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go back to um, his point about um, binding and loosing. I think that's Matthew 18. You talked about it, right? Matthew yes. 18. And also Matthew 16, 18. Yes. Yeah, about that real fast. Um, you know, Peter was the the um rock that was you know, Peter was Peter is the rock that the church is built upon, as in how I would interpret it is he's the rock used to build the church, right? And we see that he did that in, in the book of Acts. However, the great commission was given to all of the disciples, and they all had their own missions. They all did their own thing. Um, some is recorded in other books and other, um, you know. That's not in the Bible. It's not found in the Bible. Like, um, I believe um, Thomas wrote books as well. I'm not so sure about, um, I believe he went to India. I believe he went to India. But yeah, um, gosh, I'm doing so bad. <laughs> but it's no, right. it's fine. No, it's, you got about 10 seconds. No, I'm done. All right. You'll have another five minutes and then we can talk back and forth at the end as well. Um, so thank you. And I'm going to reset the clock and I have seven minutes go. Um, I would just, uh, I'd like to comment on a couple of things that you said, or I would like to reinforce something that I said that I think is very important that if you look through the book, actually, I'm going to back up even before that, because I want to find some common ground with you, Anthony, things that we, you think we might disagree on, but we actually don't disagree on. Um, so I guess I'll start out by saying that we both believe that the scriptures are the word of God. They're inerrant. They're like the highest authority. And the Catholic church in her documents actually says that she's not above the word of God. The Pope is not above the word of God. Uh, We can't just teach stuff that blatantly, we can't just say, oh, Jesus wasn't God, you know, when the Bible teaches that he was. Um, So we have to, what the Catholic church teaches is that the Pope and the church are servants to the word of God. The Bible says that Jesus gave his apostles, not every individual Christian, the Holy Spirit to lead them into all truth because he was establishing them as the foundation of the church. And so they would pass, that's why they would lay hands on people and pass on their authority. That's important because if you don't have that authority, then we don't, we really can't have the final say on having scripture. And I think that's why uh, the Bible alone is a self-defeating prospect because 
if you look at Lutherans who think that their religion's right based on the Bible alone, and then Pentecostals who believe their religion's right based on the Bible alone, Presbyterians who believe their Bible's right based on the Bible, like they all have their only interpretations and everyone else is wrong. Yes, but we're inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yes, but everybody else says that too. Yes, but we've been praying and studying about it. Yes, but they say that, you know, it's like Jesus never wanted these thousands of competing denominations. He wanted one church with one doctrine, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one church. And there was one church for over a thousand years until people finally started breaking away from it. And then by the time Martin Luther died, he started the Bible alone. And there were over 240 religions, Christian religions, all claiming to be right and all claiming to go by the Bible. Even Luther himself was frustrated at the end of his life because he said every plowboy and Sally girl thinks that they can interpret this book. Everyone suddenly become a scholar and a doctor. And he saw the problems with his Bible alone theory. So not only does it not work because, I mean, it can't work. It's impossible that Jesus started a Bible alone church because I mean, many people have the misconception that, well, in the early church, everybody had a Bible. Everyone studied the Bible. There wasn't even a Bible until the year 400. And it was the Catholic Church who put the Bible together. It was the Catholic Church with the authority that Christ gave her who infallibly chose the books of Scripture and chose the canon of Scripture and put the Bible together under one cover as we know it today. And it was the Catholic Church who copied that Bible for over a thousand years so we could have it. So, Nobody, I mean, Martin Luther tried to throw out, he did throw out seven books, but he tried to throw out 14 books. He didn't like the book of James. He didn't think Hebrews was inspired. He didn't think Revelation was inspired, but he said, I will leave it up to the individual. You make your own choice on Revelation. Like, I mean, we're talking about people who think he's the savior of the Bible and he's hacking up the word of God. Talking about adding and subtracting to the word of God. You have Martin Luther telling people to believe whatever you want and come to your own conclusions. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches an authoritative teaching and preaching church. And uh, so I just want to say that we do believe in the Bible. We believe it's the word of God, but it's not self-interpreting. That's the problem. And even the first book of Peter says that many people twist it to their own destruction because it's not self-interpreting, meaning you have to have an authority to interpret it. Otherwise, there's thousands of people who interpret it thousands of different ways, all claim to be praying to the Holy Spirit. Now, 1 Timothy 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 doesn't actually prove sola scriptura. What it says, it never says that the Bible is the only or final authority. And I think if you want to prove sola scriptura, then you got to show it where, I mean, if the Bible really is the final authority on all matters for Christians, then it should be all over scripture. I mean, why didn't Paul take time to teach it? Why didn't Jesus take time to teach it? They never taught it. In fact, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, when he's, when he's talking to Timothy, he says, he's referring to the scriptures. And if you look at the verse that he knew as a kid. So what he's referring to in these scriptures is the Old Testament. He's not talking about the whole Bible. He's talking about the Old Testament in this passage. So if we're going strictly by the same logic, then only the Old Testament is inspired and nothing else can come after that. But the word, the thing is, is that Paul says that the scriptures are profitable, and he uses that word profitable, some translate it helpful, in equipping us and making us perfect. So it's not all you need, it's not the only thing, and it's not the final authority, it's helpful and profitable to help us. I mean, because otherwise, at least when I look at the Bible, nowhere do I see that Jesus teaches a Bible church. Nowhere does it 
Paul teach a Bible church or James or John or anyone else? And in fact, if you look through history, nine-tenths of most of the world couldn't even read until almost modern day, till after the time of the printing press. And nobody had Bibles in the early church because they took three years to copy and they were monumentally expensive, therefore. So very few people had them. Usually only certain churches had them, and they would chain them to the pulpit so people wouldn't steal them because they were so expensive. Um, and, but even when they started to become more numerous, they were still really expensive. And then even when they came down in price, people still didn't have Bibles for most of history. But what they had was a teaching and preaching church who taught them the scriptures. I think your whole argument, Anthony, if you don't mind me summing it up of what I heard, is that you're saying that scriptures are important because the, Jesus appealed to the scriptures. Peter appealed to the scriptures. Paul appealed to the scriptures. We agree with that. We agree that the scriptures are important and should be appealed to. But the question is, are they, are they the only thing that they are appealed to? Is that the, are they the final authority on all matters? And the answer is no, you don't see that anywhere because Peter in Acts 15, 11 makes a final decision. Paul is teaching by his own authority. So yes, he teaches from the scriptures at times, but at other times he says, I don't want to write everything down. I'm going to come preach to you. Uh, on my own. And he says, he exhorts people for listening to him because they heard the word of God from him, whether he wrote it down or whether he preached it. He said his oral preaching was the word of God and it was written down later. And that was also the word of God. So I don't think we see the Bible only uh, in the Bible. You have five minutes to respond. Okay. Um, so yeah, like, you asked, um, is the Bible self-interpreting as, you know, is, you know, do we need some sort of authority? Do we need um, somebody to teach us? And this is why I, I'm going to disagree, right? Because the Bible says that, you know, if we believe in Jesus Christ, right, if we believe in him, you know, we shall receive the Holy Spirit, right? The gift of the Holy Spirit I believe it says in Acts 2, 38, that it's for your, you know, sons and daughters shall prophesy, old men dream dreams and, you know, and see visions. So, you know, the Holy Spirit is for those who believe, those who, you know, repent of their sins. And I believe that once an individual has the Holy Spirit, then they don't need any man to teach them. I, I think you use um, the first John, um, I think first John 1. I'm not so sure what chapter that comes, I think it's four. I, I don't know what chapter that's from, but it's in first John or second John, I don't know, one of the Johns. And I, I believe that that promises for those who have the Holy Spirit, for those who belong in the body of Christ, who have the Holy Spirit. Um, another question you ask is, are the Christians the only thing that we are to appeal to? You know, is the is the is the scripture the only thing, you know, me personally, I'm writing a book right now. You know, Martin Luther had books, you know, he also preached as well. Um, you know, it's not the only, it's like, it's the, okay. So let me say it like this, right? Jesus referred back to the Bible, you know, when he was, you know, in the temptation and, you know, multiple times, you know, the Jews believed in Jesus because it was prophesied in the scripture, right? And, you know, I think you made a good point about um, the Old Testament. Is the Old Testament only scripture? How do we know if the New Testament is inspired? Well, 
I believe that God is sovereign and God knows exactly what we need. I believe that, you know, the New Testament is given to us by God, you know, and it's like, you know, I don't know the um, the history on it, on the New Testament, but I know that from the Old Testament alone, we can be saved because the Old Testament leads to Jesus, talks about Jesus, you know, um, the Old Testament, you know, basically introduces many of the concepts that, that we see in the New Testament. I think I think the the better question in my opinion is how do we know if someone is a true Christian or not? But yeah, you know, I really think that the main issue with the Catholic Church, we have to understand, is Peter really Pope? Like was Peter really a Pope? And you know you know, yes, it's awesome to have authority. You know, I agree that we need leaders, elders, etc. Um, but in First Peter, chapter five, verses one, you know, he Peter calls himself a fellow elder. He does not call himself, um, you know, a leader over all Christians. You know, Peter never met all Christians. I don't know if any pope has met all. You know, if any pope has met all Catholics. You know, Peter never. This, you know, Paul arguably visited more Christians than Peter did. So I think it would kind of make more sense for Paul to be um, a pope. But no, you know, um, you know, that's that's one of my main arguments. Um, but yeah, like, you know, going back to the, you know, I just have a final question. Like, why should I follow a book? if it doesn't claim to be God breathed, you know, why should I follow, why should anything else be of an equal um, standard if it doesn't claim to be God breathed, if it doesn't claim to be from God? And, you know, the important thing is that it must be true. It must be proven 100% without a shadow of a doubt that, you know, the papacy is real, the popes have the authority, and I, I believe that this authority is for all believers as well. It's not just for um, those, you know, not just for the apostles, you know. Jesus says anyone who believes in Mark 16. Um, but yeah, that's what I have to say right now. All right. Thank you for your thoughts. Um, I would just respond by saying that uh, we agree with you. I just want to reemphasize that we agree that scripture is God-breathed. It's important. Um, and since it's God-breathed, it's, kind of the word of God. Um, <clears throat> no other book on earth can compare to it. No other book is on the same level at it. It's, it's like the highest authority. However, uh, the Catholic Church would say the problem w- is not with Scripture. The problem is with people's interpretation of Scripture. You said that, you know, Christians are given the Holy Spirit and that therefore they can, um, they don't need an outside authority, you said. And they can interpret it on their own. The problem with that is that's a self-defeating proposition because all Christian denominations claim to have the Holy Spirit, but they all disagree with each other on what the Bible means, on what it says. And they're praying to the Holy Spirit because this, at the, like, I agree with you that Jesus gave all of the apostles a mission. He gave all of them authority. That's true. And I said that in my statements. What I don't agree with, or I should say what we disagree on is that Peter has the uh, head authority above the other apostles because number one, the church was built on him and no other person. Number two, 
he alone received the name change. No other apostle received a name change, which means an elevation in status and mission. Number three, he alone received the keys of the kingdom of heaven, receiving an office and authority that no one else received. To be sure, there were lots of authorities in ancient Israel and under, in the kingdom of David, but all the authorities appoint, uh, were appointed to the prime minister. He had the final authority under the king. Same thing in the church. There are many authorities in the church, many people who have missions in the church, but they all appoint to the one who has the keys of the kingdom, just like the prime minister had the keys of the house of David. So that's why we know that Peter has this uh, primacy. And if you read the earliest Christians, the ones who are closest to the Bible, they all unanimously agree that Peter had this primacy. They, they don't teach the Bible alone. This was unheard of in the history of Christianity. And if it was a Christian doctrine, you should be able to find it all over the place. Um, I think that you said that uh, Peter didn't meet all the Christians. You know, maybe Paul met more, so therefore maybe he should be Pope. But I don't think any Pope in the world today has met all of the Christians. You know, that's not a requirement for ha being the head apostle. You don't need to meet everybody. You just have, that's why the authority, even pa Paul himself went to Jerusalem to meet Peter. He went to Jerusalem to, uh, before he even started his ministry to consult with Peter first because he knew that Peter was the authority. And just because Peter calls himself a presbyter, a fellow presbyter, doesn't mean he's not the Pope. I mean, Jesus had exhorted them not to lord it over everyone else, you know, to be humble. You who want to be the greatest have to be the least. So Peter was humbling himself. Even Paul, who was one of the, probably the, arguably the greatest apostle, um, certainly the most intelligent apostle, often lowered himself too and put himself on the same level as everyone else, even though we know that he wasn't. But the apostles were humble and that's why they did that. But when you see Peter making decisions and authority like in Acts 15, and you see him welcoming and training and baptizing and doing everything as, the, as an authority, even over the other apostles, uh, and it's corresponded at the early church of agreed with this. I mean, just for example, uh, in 268, you see Pope, uh, I'm sorry, in 251, you see Cyprian of Carthage. He says this, in 251, we're talking shortly after the apostles. He said, there speaks Peter upon the, whom the church would be built, teaching in the name of the church and showing that even if the stubborn and proud multitude withdraws because they do not wish to obey, yet the church does not withdraw from Christ. The people joined to the priest and the flock cling to the shepherd of the church, who is Peter. And we know from John 21, by the way, Jesus made Peter the good shepherd. He gave him tend of his sheep and only Peter. He said, you tend my lambs, you tend my sheep, you take care of my lambs. So he's given Peter so, so many times, Peter singularly receives a special role. But Cyprian, <clears throat> who's a prominent Christian in the early days, goes on to say that you ought to know then that the bishop is in the church and the church is in the bishops. And if someone does not have the bishop, then he is not in the church. For the church, which is one and Catholic, is not split and not divided. While the bond of concord remains and the indivisible sacraments of the Catholic Church continues, each bishop disposes his own work. So, and if you look at Tertullian in the year 200 or Ignatius of Antioch in 107 AD, Ignatius of Antioch knew John the Apostle and he claimed to be Catholic. He claimed that the authority of the bishops, he claimed priests, he claimed the Eucharist was the true presence of Jesus. I mean, we're talking the first century. And 
All of the earliest Christians claimed to be Catholic. They all claimed that Jesus started the Catholic Church. And if you look in the Encyclopedia Britannica, Encyclopedia of Religion, Compton's Encyclopedia, Berkshire Encyclopedia of History, countless actual non-Catholic sources also say that Peter was the first pope and also say that Jesus started the Catholic Church. And so I think it's pretty clear that when you look at the status of Peter in the New Testament, the singular authority that Jesus gave him by giving him the keys, um, his role in the New Testament, what the unanimous consent of the earliest Christians believed. I mean, we could argue about what interpretation is, says this and what says that, but what did all of the Christians say? They all agreed with what the Catholic Church still agrees with today, that Jesus started the Catholic Church, that Peter was the head, that baptism was a, a, a thing, that the Eucharist was the true presence of Jesus. Nobody doubted the true presence of Jesus until the 1200s, meaning it's a new tradition. It's a man-made tradition. It was never heard of. Someone invented it. The earliest Christians all believed what was taught in the Bible that the Eucharist truly is Jesus. He truly is present there. And the doctrines of the Catholic Church are taught there. Um, that ends my segment. <clears throat> so now we're going to go into the final segment, Anthony, where I guess we just talk as um, friends who are discussing the faith. Um, I'm sure you have questions for me. Um, I definitely have questions for you. Uh, you actually asked a good question earlier, which I'm sure you could bring up to me if you want. You said, uh, mm, why follow a, a book? Or, you know, if it's, if it's God breathed, why not follow it? Why not listen to it? That's a good question, you know? So uh, do you want to ask the first question? Uh, yeah. Um, I need to ask the first question. I'll ask the first question. Um, yeah, like, why follow a book that doesn't claim to be God-breathed? I think that's the better question I wanted to ask. Why follow um, a book that doesn't claim to be God-breathed? Well, like, we shouldn't. Yeah. Um, like, like you said, Luther wrote stuff, which I totally disagree with, but he would agree with it. There's been great commentaries, great history books. There are other good books that give good points and that we should adhere to, but none of them trump the Bible because the Bible is the word of God. So if a book, no matter how good it is, if it contradicts the Bible, then it can't be true, or at least not on those points where it contradicts the Bible. So I think we're in agreement that the Bible is God-breathed and it has that authority because it is over all other books. Okay, okay. I guess we agree on what sola scriptura is because I feel as though um, some Catholics make it feel like sola scriptura is just the Bible when it's, you know, the Holy Spirit speaks, you know. Um, so, um, can I just yeah, ask, I mean, add one thing? You can ask me a question. You can, yeah. Let me add one thing to that if you don't mind because mm -hmm. I don't think we agree. On I, I'm not sure what your definition of sola scriptura is, but most Protestants, most denominational uh, non-Catholics believe that sola scriptura, it's not that it's just the final book over all other books, but it's the final authority on the face of the earth on matters of, it's the only, they often say, only infallible authority on issues of faith and morals. And that's where we would disagree because we don't believe, while we believe that God primarily speaks through scripture and that's the highest authority, we also believe that the church is an authority that Christ gave alongside scriptures to help interpret the scriptures. And we believe that tradition is a necessary role as well in helping to interpret scriptures. And so what the Catholic church believes is that while the Bible is the highest authority of all books, we believe that you, ha you have the church you have the Bible and you have tradition. Now, tradition isn't, you know, 
on par necessarily with the Bible, but it is important and you can't fully understand scripture without the tradition. Uh, so for example, if you don't mind me saying, if you look, this is the, this is the biblical model. If you look in the Old Testament, Moses had the oral tradition. He had the things that God taught him. They were in his head for most of the Old Testament. They weren't written down. So he was teaching and preaching based on the authority God gave him. But eventually they wrote it down. So they also had the scriptures and they also had the oral traditions that developed over time too. So you had uh, the scriptures, you had the authority. I'm sorry, you had the you had the scriptures, you had the tradition, and you had the teaching authority of Moses, who the, when the Bible says he actually sits in his seat to teach the people. So he taught with the authority that God gave him. Now, fast forward to the modern day Jews in the Bible, Matthew 23, Jesus says that the Jews sat in the seat of Moses. So they teach with God's authority. There are a bunch of hypocrites that don't follow their actions, but you have to listen to what they say because they had the authority. Now, the Jews had scriptures. They had the Torah and the oral tradition, they, and that they also had the teaching authority of the Pharisees. So we believe it's the same in the Catholic Church. The scriptures we have, they're an authority you know, that give us the word of God. But we also have the tradition that came before the scriptures and that help us understand the scriptures. And you have the teaching authority of the church, which was like Moses and which was like the Pharisees. What would you say to that? Yeah, um, you know, tradition is very important. And I have some verses that I want to go to. I want to go to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm going to read from 13, yep. 13 to 15. I'm going to read 13 to 15. I'm using this old Bible. I need a new Bible. Because <laughs> um, I don't know where everything is. Oh, my gosh. And it's kind of broken towards the end, too. So I have say. it here. I can read it for you. It says, so that yeah, okay. stand fast and hold firm to the traditions which you have heard from us, either by word of mouth or by written epistle. Mm-hmm. Could you read um, 13? Okay. I, <clears throat> I apologize. That was verse 15. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, 13 and 14, if you could read that. Okay. Let me, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. Yes. Okay. I'm going to read from the King James Version. That's fine. Um, It says, uh, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved, uh, beloved of the Lord, because God has, from the beginning, chosen you for salvation through the sanctification of the Spirit and the belief of the truth, whereunto he has called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. Yeah, so, you know, the context of them standing fast and holding on to tradition would be if they were in Christ. You know, it wasn't just anybody who is to hold on to tradition. Anybody, you know, we see in those verses that they were called, you know, you know, they're in Christ. I want to, um, you know, I want to ask a question. So, you know, like Catholics believe that, you know, 
like aside from the authority, right? Aside from the authority and all, and all that. How okay, in the in the Bible, right? In the book of Acts, we see that Peter baptizes 3000 people. And like they're in a river. You know, they're in a river doing the baptism. Um the baptism of Jesus is in the Jordan I believe it's in the John baptizes him in the Jordan River. Um, what is your answer to the explanation of to like how the Catholic Church changed the definition of baptism? Because they kind of did. <laughs> what do you mean by kind of did? Yeah, like so the Greek word so of to mean yeah. to plunge into. Yeah, the Greek word is baptizo, right? Correct. And that word is to immerse or to sink, to dunk. Right, that's so, what it means. Mm-hmm. And, and we do do that. A lot of churches do do that in the Catholic Church. But as you know, we also pour it on a baby's head as well because that tradition developed. Um, and I believe it developed in the first 300 years of the Catholic Church because, as you know, <clears throat> Catholics were persecuted for the first 300 years in the Roman Empire. They were killed. They were maimed. They were sold into slavery. They were put into mines. They had their heads cut off. They were thrown into coliseums. And a lot of them had to worship underground. So a lot of times, Catholics did not have access to ponds or rivers for converts who wanted to be baptized. And we know that Jesus said, you have to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven in John 3, 5. Now to be born again, biblically speaking, means baptism. So if you're not baptized, you're not going to heaven. So like, for example, that's why Mark 16, 16, it says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. In Romans 6, uh, Mm -hmm. verses chapter 6, verse 1 through 11, it talks about uh, being born again in Christ through baptism. So we believe that, you know, we wanted to baptize Christ. And what we believe is needed to do so is water, the intent to baptize, and a Trinitarian formula, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, maybe ideally, plunging is something, but we don't believe that that's part of the doctrine itself. And in fact, if you can't plunge someone, are they going to be damned? You know, so the church, by the authority that Christ mm-hmm. gave her, allowed other uh, opportunities to baptize these people. And that tradition has continued in some churches. I, I get what you're saying, but you know, in, in Mark 16, it says he who baptizes, like, like they don't baptize today. I mean, for the most part. No, they say you he know, who believes and is baptized. And believes, and is, yeah, yeah, but I'm talking about the baptize, the, the baptism part, though. It's like, you know, I, you know, water was poured upon my forehead when I was a baby, upon of, you know, my siblings as well, and it's like, you know, it, you know, I got bapt, I got baptized in another church after that, and like. I, I felt closer to God. I felt like, I mean, I understand like, you know, that's feelings and feelings are whatever, right. but it's like, you know, why is it that, I mean, yeah, I think earlier you said that there's a, um, a past, uh, a, a former pastor who's now a priest or who's now um, a Catholic speaker yep. who led many um, Protestants to the faith. Like why, why is it that, this because I know lots of Catholics too who are now Protestants. Well, why do you think that that happens? Why do you think why what do people happens? leave the Catholic Church? 
Why do people? I would argue. I think this is what sparked our whole debate in the first place. Is because you, I think, disagreed with me on this. But I argue that the majority of people who leave the Catholic Church, and this is from my experience over twenty-five years, I have hardly met a Catholic church, a Catholic who's left the faith who actually knew their faith. They now some do but the majority do not. Most of them have no idea what the Catholic Church has believed. They didn't know their faith. And then <clears throat> the Jehovah's Witness comes to the door. It seems like it's true, and they just get taken away. Same thing with Mormons. I mean, so many Mormons are ex-Catholics because Catholics didn't know their faith to begin with, whereas contrary, many, like thousands, of, I'll say hundreds, I don't want to over-exaggerate, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of the, some of the smartest minds in the Protestant world are becoming Catholic. We're talking heads of theological seminaries, Protestant pastors, people who are scholars in the Protestant world are becoming Catholic. And the thing is, they don't want to be because they think the church is evil. They think they worship Mary. They think that they have all these man-made traditions. But then when they study deeper, they realize that not only did they have many misconceptions about the Catholic church and they weren't it, it's not at all what they thought it was, but it's actually the church that goes back to the time of Christ, and it is the true church of Christ. In fact, like Alex Jones, for example, he was a, pa- a fiery preach Southern Baptist pastor. He ended up becoming Catholic and brought his entire pa- ch- like church into the Catholic church with him. So I think people become Catholic because they see that it's true, and I feel like people who leave oftentimes, not all the time, do so because they really don't know their faith. And in fact, many Catholics who have left, I know tons of Catholics who have left, you know, and continued studying, and then they really ended up coming back to the Catholic faith when they, you know, studied it deeper. Yeah, I mean, what I want to say to that is that, like, I'm, I'm pretty confident that, like, I, that for the most part, I do know the, the, the Catholic faith, and I'm, I'm confident in myself, and I'm confident that I don't think I would return back to the catholic church simply because of things i've experienced so i'm curious you're charismatic right yes i'm both i'm i consider myself a i'm very traditionally minded but i'm also charismatic as well yeah why do you feel like the catholic church doesn't talk much on the gifts like i know that this exorcist and you know every once in a while they talk on you know like they talk about the gifts and this and that but there's no really like um prime like they don't really talk about it so much. Like, why do you think that's the case? Yeah. Um, so, so like, why do you I think? I got it. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so I would say that uh, many Catholics do focus on the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, and many don't. The Catholic Church is in a really interesting time. I mean, we've been around 2000 years and anyone who's been around so long is going to have good times in the church and bad times. We've had a very bad time since about the 1960s. We've uh, we had a lot of people uh, come into the church that weren't good. And our church, we haven't had good catechesis, meaning we haven't taught Catholics their faith well in probably at least 40 years. Um, everyone who goes to CCD is like, I didn't learn a thing in eight years. You know, I didn't learn anything. And so most Catholics don't know their faith, which is why they get let out uh, very easily. But consequently, they also don't know things about the I mean, all students learn about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but not everyone always learns about the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit because I think there's bad instruction. We have a whole video on Catholic truth about the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave us the charisms to build up the church. And so 
You have lots of Catholics who do speak in tongues and prophesy and have gifts of healing and miracles and words of wisdom and knowledge. And I've seen it in my own eyes and I've had my life changed by those gifts and I've changed many other people's lives through those gifts. But so I would say the Catholic Church does teach it. Absolutely. But many Catholics today maybe just don't know about it because they don't. I mean, let's be honest, they don't go to church on Sundays. They don't even really look into their faith or know what it believes. Yeah, I mean, like, for me, you know, I left because of the gifts, you know, like I saw the demonstration, the power, of, you know, the use of the gifts in other churches in Pentecostal churches. Um, and yeah, you know, I don't agree with everything, you know, at times they, you know, the gifts are misused you know, not used the wrong way and everything. You know, the Bible does say that the gifts are without repentance. I, I think that's Romans 8, 11. So like, you know, anybody could receive a gift, you know, this, Correct. you know, false people could receive gifts too. Um, and I think that's what it comes back to for me is that anybody can receive a gift and God, it's a, some people did use gifts poorly, but is the Pentecostal church the church that Jesus started 2,000 years ago? Or, in my opinion, when I study history, I see that it was started by Charles Fox Perham in 1900 AD. That's only 100 years old. And since then, countless denominations of Pentecostals have broken away and they all disagree with each other. So for me, just because they have or are utilizing the gifts doesn't make them the true church of Jesus Christ because the Catholic Church has the gifts, but I believe does go back to the time of Jesus Christ. Yeah, like what I say to that is, you know, back to the, um, you know, church, you know, argument, you know, like on this church, you know, like back to the church argument, like I believe that the church is a body of people who believe in Christ. It's not necessarily like, for example, I, this Pentecostals, I do disagree with, right? <clears throat> but I wouldn't say that it's a disagreement that's like a salvation issue, you know? I, it, it's not everything is a salvation issue. Like not every disagreement is a salvation issue. So like, you know, there are still my brothers in the Lord, you know, even Baptist, you know, I'm not a Baptist, but I consider Baptist, you know, saved because they believe in the Trinity. They believe in the essentials of the faith. So in the Protestant world, we believe that anyone who believes the essentials of the faith is saved, you know, baptism, confession of sins, repentance, holiness, that's what we we don't necessarily subscribe to the notion that a particular church is where you get you know all doctrine all authority this and that because like you know i don't see that in, in the bible you know like i do see that there are leaders you know there are people who had positions in the church you know and and yeah but um, i think like I think the problem with that is like uh, Protestant religions can't even agree among the basics and can't even agree on among salvation. Some say you're sa once saved, always saved. Other Protestants disagree with that. Some say that baptism is necessary for salvation and actually regenerates you in Christ. Other Protestants say that's heresy. Like, they, you know, they, they can't even agree with each other among the basics. So if these are what's needed to be saved, if like Lutherans would say, you have to be baptized and regenerated and believe in the power of baptism for, your, for you to be saved. 
Others say, no, it's just a symbol. Lutherans would say that's heresy, you know, be burned. <laughs> you know, like they can't agree with each other on that. Some say like oneness Pentecostals will say that you're baptized in the name of Jesus. Whereas other Pentecostals will say, no, it's in the name of the Trinity and both think each other are going to hell for, you know, because they disagree with each other. Um, I think that's the problem when you get away from the authority that Jesus established. Like the way we see it is that <clears throat> Jesus gave his apostles authority, right? Now, some men, even in the Bible times, started to teach different things, even sometimes based on the scriptures. But it was the apostles who had Jesus' authority who corrected those men and said, no, this is what Jesus taught. We were there. We heard him. And it's kind of like a CEO who started a company. He ran the company for 30 years. He's giving it up and retiring, and he's trained men to take his place. And he trained one CEO in particular to take his place, and he'll pass it on to him. Now, he goes on to write some of the notes of his business down, the important notes of what people need to know. Now, what do we do if there's a question about the notes and people don't understand the notes? Do you go to the notes to figure it out? Or do you go to the people who lived with him, who knew him, who were trained by him, and were in the room when he was writing it down? See, that's the way we see the role of the church. The church isn't above the scriptures. The church was there before the scriptures. Scriptures weren't even written before the church was around teaching and preaching, before the apostles were teaching and preaching, because that's what Jesus started. Scriptures were written down much later, and it was the church by her authority who chose which books were and were not part of the Bible. So I think if, I mean, when you get to 1500, you have all these people teaching different things all based on scripture, but the Catholic church has passed down from Jesus unchanged the scriptures and the interpretation of scriptures that were there from the beginning. And they were there with Jesus in the beginning. They know like the original interpretation. Yeah. Um, I found my train of thought. I'm, I'm all over the place. Like I've never done this before, but um, I want to ask, like, I want to ask, um, you know, you know, it's believed that the Protestant Reformation started because, um, you know, Martin Luther had a epiphany and, you know, the 95 thesis and everything. The truth of the matter is that he wanted to reform the Catholic Church. He saw some errors in the Catholic Church and he wanted to reform the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church denied, you know, um, what he wanted. So it's like, you know, the church, the Catholic church has been in error. Like, you know, like they have made mistakes. Other churches have made mistakes as well, but it's like, you know, like looking back at it now, we see that the church has been in error, but I think I years ago, I think I would disagree with that. Um, I think Martin Luther didn't think the church was in error. I think he thought the church was corrupt. And he said that the church was corrupt and the Pope was corrupt and bishops were corrupt and they were selling indulgences. He didn't disagree with indulgences. He disagreed with the fact that the church was selling them, even though they weren't really selling them. People gave alms, which was a different thing. So he, and in fact, he wrote 95 theses. Everyone knows that, but they, nobody ever talks about the 112 theses that John Eck wrote back to him, blowing away his arguments. So Martin Luther didn't leave because of errors in the Catholic Church. He, believed, he left because he tried to reform it because the popes and a lot of the bishops were corrupt at the time, and he wanted to help reform that, but they wouldn't listen to him. So Martin Luther was the wrong man for the job. I mean, we know that he drank. He was a womanizer. He had a temper, a furious temper. Even Protestants say that. He didn't want to. So 
when he when he re, uh, had feedback and resistance, he just went off the deep end. So much so they ended up writing uh, little tracks, pornographic tracks of the popes doing disgusting satanic stuff with bishops, like stuff that a Christian should not be writing. But he did it to try to get back at the church. So this man wasn't always in his right mind. But here's the thing. There were people like St. Teresa of Avila, St. Francis de Sales, John of the Cross, people who lived in Martin Luther's time who were holy. When they encountered resistance in the church, they fasted more, they prayed more, and they ended up reforming the church and transforming it back the way it should be. So I don't see Martin Luther as a reformer. I think of more of as a, re a rebel because he didn't, he fought. You know, he, uh, holy men and women change the church back to what it is. He didn't. He destroyed it. He broke it apart. And now we have thousands of denominations that that's never what Christ wanted. I mean, the only reason, okay, I mean, I, I did not know about um, John Eck and the uh, 120 um, thesis, but the only reason why there's lots of denominations is because they see the disagreements between the Catholic Church and the Bible. You know, like I, I think earlier on, we both agreed that, you know, we shouldn't disagree with the Bible. We shouldn't conflict with the Bible. Solo Scripture is, is basically saying that the Bible is the go-to book to not disagree with, to not um, conflict with. Which we know, agree like, on. We both yeah, agree on that. Exactly. And, and, and that's, what, that's, that's, that's what a lot of Protestants would define as Solo Scripture. I guess they use the wrong terminology or they don't really know how to explain it the right way. But they're not saying that, you know, the Bible only, because many Protestants have books as well. They have, um, you know, writings and this and that. So right. I, I, I feel the final authority on all matters. Yeah. Would you agree yeah, with but, that? Yeah. Peter, you know, you know, Peter referred to the scriptures, you know, um, Jesus used the, the scriptures as well during the temptation. Um, you know, it's like words that it's like. It's like my thing with the Catholic Church is that they 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 it's like they can change the Bible basically. So like if the Bible says this, like back to baptism, right? If the Bible says that this is baptism, but you know, but it doesn't we're say hiding, you have to do it. That way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but hold up, Don. We're hiding. We're underground. We're being persecuted. So now we have to change the definition of the word. You know, it's like it's like. I know so many, I know people who cast out demons, who do deliverance ministry, right? And they immerse people in the water. You know, they immerse people in the water. And people get set free. You know, people get deliverance from actually doing it the biblical way. You know, it's like... That's because they have water to actually baptize people in. I'm now imagine they're underground and they don't but have today, water. But but today's time though, like why don't the Catholic Church revert back to that though? Like like why don't they revert back to that? Like why because, don't they do that? Because Jesus never said it was mandatory to to do it that way. I mean, there's no biblical um I guess thing that says you have to plunge people in order for it to be real. We just see there had to be water <clears throat> and there had to be a Trinitarian baptism and there had to be intent. Um, there are many things that were even changed in Bible times. Doesn't mean that the truth was changed. It's just that the apostles, even Paul changed things in the book of Corinthians and he came up with customs that he changed, but it doesn't mean the truth changed. It just means he had the authority to change it. And the, and the, and the apostle and the church has authority to change things as well. Um, if you don't mind, 
I think the whole thing about you keep coming back to the Bible alone as the final authority on all matters, but my thing is the Bible doesn't actually say that. Do you, can you think of any passage that actually says the Bible is a, a, the final authority on all matters? Because if it doesn't teach that, then by definition, mm-hmm. the Bible alone I'm isn't true. Myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, it's like, you know, the, and, and I know the Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17 argument, you know, people don't like using it. But verse 17 says that it equips the man of God for every work. It says it helps to it, equip you know, in the verse man 17, of God for every work. Helps to equip them, and it doesn't say it's final. It, it doesn't, doesn't say. say help. Yeah, the doesn't Greek word help. is the Greek word is profitable. It's profitable in helping men to become equipped. Um, I was just saying that if you think of the word helpful, mm-hmm. it's helpful. Something's helpful in equipping us to do something, which is great, and we agree with that. But it doesn't say it's the only thing equipping uh, able to equip us for that. For example, if I want to learn to play baseball, it's helpful for me to learn how to bat. But it's also helpful me to learn how to throw and learn the rules and run the bases. I mean, there are other things as well. Helpful doesn't mean sufficient or complete. And mm-hmm. I think that's my big problem is that Paul could have said the Bible is sufficient and the only thing you really need to make you equipped, but he didn't. He just says it's helpful. And in fact, he's talking about the Old Testament. So really, he's saying the Old Testament is really only the only thing you need. I mean, my argument is, is, is this, right? I get what you're saying. Like, I 100% get what you're saying, you know. But my argument is this, right? You can test to see if it actually, like, has made people complete. There are people in the Protestant world who've used only the Old Testament, you know. Like, I mean, the first Christians, they didn't have the, compos- they didn't have the New Testament, right? But it's recorded in Acts that they did all these miracles and they led all these people to the Lord. The Old Testament scripture by itself can lead people to the Lord, can heal the sick, can teach people things that they need for godliness, for righteousness, you know, like all all these things. Like the early church relied on the Old Testament scriptures. It's like, it actually did made them complete for every good work for the like for it it did though i mean i agree like that that's, that's my argument like i don't well, see, i agree with you that they mm-hmm. relied on the old testament scriptures like we were in agreement with that my the catholic church would say they didn't agree, they didn't rely on the old testament alone that's not the only thing they relied on and that's not what caused them to do miracles and preach and teach it was the fact that Jesus gave them authority. That is the ultimate authority, Jesus Christ. Some of that authority, the word of God was written down, but some of that authority is given through his apostles and prophets, and he speaks infallibly through them. That's why the Catholic Church infallibly chose the books of scripture in the year 397 AD at the Catholic Council of Carthage. I mean, if it's not infallible, then anybody can choose any canon of scripture they want, but it was the Catholic Church that used her authority. And here's a question I would ask for you. If the Bible is the only authority, then how do you know which book should be in scripture? going by the Bible alone, using scripture as your authority. How do you know that Hebrews is inspired? It doesn't say it. How do you know Matthew wrote Matthew? It doesn't say it. Seems to me that we have to appeal to an outside authority. The reason why we know that um, the Bible, you know, the books of the Bible, you know, why they are as they are, is because we, 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 we don't see the contradictions, you know. 
like Luther was wrong in his um belief that you know Hebrews was um was you know because like other people you know believed that Hebrews was part of the original of the canon that that it should be remaining in the canon like you know Sirach wisdom um jubilee um first and second maccabees tobit um the protestant church don't believe that those books are part of the canon because they see contradictions in those books that conflict with the other books that's the reason why they rejected them but there are no contradictions it's just the protestants fallible interpretations of what they think is like they personally think, but since they're not infallible, how do they know? What authority do they have to decide? I mean, I other, mean but pe- other people actually say that Hebrews does contradict the Bible. Some people in the early church thought Revelation contradicted the Bible. Like many people disagreed on the biblical canon. There was no set canon at all until the Catholic Church officially chose it. I mean, yeah, like, you know, my, my argument to that is that, like, the Catholic Church isn't infallible. That, that's my argument: is that the Catholic Church isn't infallible at all. Um, then why? Like, did... Sure. Yeah. No, go, go ahead. ahead. I'll let you finish your thought. Yeah, you know, like, you know, sure, you know, there've been Protestants who were wrong, you know, in certain areas, but it's like only the Holy Spirit, you know, and you know, it, it goes back to you know, how do we know if someone's really a, a Christian or not? But the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. You know, the Holy Spirit does that. So, Of course, but he leads the church into all truth, not every individual Christian. Because if he led every individual Christian into all truth, then we wouldn't have thousands and thousands of competing denominations who all contradict each other, but all claim to be led by the Holy Spirit. No, but not everybody is a Christian, though. Just because they call themselves a Christian doesn't mean that they are a Christian. Yeah, you but know, you're saying that only your denomination is correct because only you have the Holy Spirit, but they would say they have the Holy Spirit and you guys aren't Christians. Like most, I, what you have to say is that other people in all the other denominations, none of them are Christians. If you say any of them are Christians, no. then you're saying that they, if any people in any of the other denominations are Christian, then they're going by the Holy Spirit too. Does that make sense? No, it's okay. Like, yeah, I, I get I get what you're saying, but everybody receives revelation differently. Um, you know, in the Protestant church, we don't necessarily go by like, you know, by church as Catholics do. So it's like I have my own personal set of opinions, you know, like for example, I don't agree on I don't believe in original sin. I have my own reasons and that's a whole nother debate. I don't personally believe in original sin, but I don't see evidence of that in scripture where it's a salvation issue. You know, it's not necessarily a salvation issue. So, you know, the Bible allows for minor disagreements. For example, Paul and Peter disagreed and Paul ended up correcting Peter. That's in, um, uh, I think it's in I know it, Galatians chapter Galatians, two. Galatians two, Galatians two. Yeah. You know, it's like, disagreements on certain doctrines doesn't necessarily mean if someone's unsaved or not. Cause like if someone is truly saved then they could receive correction by another truly saved individual. Like well, in so that- you said doctrines, but you also said minor, minor issues. I agree with you that we can disagree on minor issues, but we can't disagree on doctrines. Doctrine is from Christ. It's his truth. And once we disagree on what he taught, 
then we're kind of going off the wrong way. So of course, you, of course. Yeah, you, I agree. And 20 other Christians can't agree on baptism or original sin or how to be saved. Well, who's saved and who's not and who's to say? Matthew 18 says, if you have a disagreement with your brother, bring two or three other witnesses that it may be confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses. But if he doesn't listen to you and he doesn't listen to the two or three witnesses, he says, bring it to the church. The, the authoritative church. And if he doesn't listen, even to the church, then cast him out as a tax collector and a Gentile. So we see that the authority of the church is in scripture. That is why um, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 3.15, that it's the church, not the scriptures, that are the pillar and foundation of truth. Now, if you are a good Pentecostal, and you have a friend who's a good Lutheran, and you have another friend who's a good Presbyterian, and another one is an Episcopalian, you all disagree. And Jesus says, bring it to the church. What church do you bring it to? See, for 1,500 years, there was only one church. And the authoritative this is church how I'll started. answer that question, though. Like, I want to answer that, that specific question. Sure. The church is a group of people, right? People who believe in jesus christ who follow the teachings of jesus the church isn't a building you know the church is people who are followers of jesus who are commissioned by jesus christ and it's like in the in the protestant church we don't believe in you know like yeah like there's denominations you know some denominations are wrong but it's like i wouldn't like i wouldn't say a baptist is unsaved right because you know, they have certain revelations. Everyone else, they're unsaved. They're happy to tell Pentecostals that they're lost because yeah. they don't think they go by the Bible. Yeah, but I, I, I'm, as a Pentecostal, I wouldn't consider them unsaved because of what, the premise that they believe. They believe in the Trinity. They believe in the gospel, you know, this and that, you know. So the, the church is, is, is not, denomin- it's not tied to denominational basis. That's what See, I'm I saying. Would I would disagree with that because, um, for, well, for example, if it says bring it to the church, well, let me start by agreeing with you. I do agree that it is the people of God. I agree with that. But it's not only the people of God because there is a hierarchy of authority in the church, which makes it kind of a denomination type thing. Meaning if you don't agree with that authority, you're on the outside teaching your own thing. So for example, um, like if your church doesn't have bishops, it's not the church church of Christ because the true church in the Bible has bishops and elders and the laying on of hands and deacons. If your church doesn't have deacons, can you see like the original church had all of these things? Now, other people broke away and started teaching their own things, making different denominations, but there was one church passed down with this one truth and it was an authoritative church. That's why the Bible says all the time there are prophets, teachers, there's different levels of people in the church, and we have to respect and honor them. And if we don't listen to them, then we don't listen to Christ himself. So that's not just the people of God. There is an authority with it in, in addition. Yeah, I, okay. Okay. I mean, I understand that, you know, there is an authority, you know, like I, I get it. I get it. It's hard to explain, I guess. Like sure. it, it's hard to explain or you know I I just see disagreements with the Bible, you know, that Catholic that the Catholic Church has. You know, I just see disagreements like, you know, with the Eucharist, you know, that's a big one, you know. I I, I Why just do you see- think the Eucharist is um why do you think the Catholic Church is wrong? Maybe we can have a whole debate about this in the future, but just real briefly, yeah. why do you think it's the Catholics are wrong on it? 
I mean, Jesus, at the end of that, John chapter 6, Jesus says that it's only the spirit that gives life. And he says that in private to his disciples. But he says to the crowds, right, in the earlier part of the chapter, to eat my flesh. You know, and even in that same chapter 6, you know, he says that, you know, believe in me. That's the work that they need to do is to believe in me. You know, and they didn't want to believe in Jesus. That's why Jesus told them to eat his flesh. You know, they didn't want to believe him. They didn't want to believe in Jesus. And, you know, I believe that, you know, the Eucharist is is not literal. You know, in, um, I think, first, in first Corinthians, you know, Paul basically, you know, do this in memory of, no. Yeah, first uh, Corinthians 11. Yeah. Yeah, First Corinthians 11, you know, Paul says that and, you know, in memory, you know, like you can't memorize, you can't do something in memory of somebody if the person is literally there, you know, so that's, that's where you, I disagree with the Eucharist. But see, can you understand where I'm coming from when I say like, you say the Catholic Church is wrong? We're saying that's just your interpretation of the scriptures, whereas other people, even other Protestants, would disagree with your interpretation of scripture. And that's the whole problem of why scripture can't be the only final authority, because it's not self-interpreting and everyone comes to different conclusions. See, the Catholic Church would understands that the way all Christians throughout all of history down to the first century have accepted it and that it's really Jesus. They would say that Jesus, yes, he said, you have to feed on me. And they said, well, what is that? You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. They said, that's ridiculous. And Jesus didn't say, of course, it's ridiculous. I'm speaking symbolically. He actually said, unless you eat it and drink it, you have no life within you and you can't go to heaven. And then in verse 55, he uses two Greek words that are ridiculously literal. And so he was speaking literal the whole time. And even to, and, and, and John 6, 63 wasn't privately to his apostles. He was still speaking to the crowd. And he said that, you know, the spirit uh, availeth much, but the flesh is of no avail. He wasn't saying that symbolic. If you understand, like, for example, in Romans chapter 5 or 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and other verses, when he's talking about the flesh, it's talking about people who are unspiritual, people who don't agree, people who don't follow Christ, people who are in the flesh, don't have faith. And he was saying that they don't have faith in him, which is why they can't accept this message. But they have, if they were in the spirit, they could have accepted it. And that's why he holds, gives the Eucharist to the, I mean, even in John 6, 6, 6, they walk away from him. This is the only time where people in scripture walk away from Jesus. And it's interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that you quoted, that Paul says that if you eat and drink, the body and blood of the Lord, in an unworthy manner, you're going to hell. He says, you eat and drink damnation on yourself. How can we do that just sipping a little wine? Or if we you know, eat a little bread? He actually says, you profane the body of the Lord. How can we do that if it's not truly the body of the Lord? And I would just conclude by saying that every single Christian unanimously in history for 1,500 years believed this. So the Protestant one is a we we think is a non-biblical one that's unhistorical and unbiblical. Well, okay. Um uh like I'm I'm 
not the best when it comes to explaining these things at all. Or can you, you see know? how and, like that's his opinion, but every Christian yeah. in history disagreed with him? How could he be this right Christian over all agreed Christians? With this, this Christian who, who wrote against that, they are. There's this no Christians, Christians who wrote against the Eucharist. They all were in the Eucharist. They are. They are. This, this Christian can you name who, any? It's not, it's not on top of my mind right now. It's really not. It's not on top of my mind. Because I have a, a lists full here that all believe in the Eucharist unanimously, and I've never found any that disagree. I have three volumes of all the early Christian writings, and none of them disagree with the Eucharist. I mean, yeah. but if you, if you want to message me privately, if you look it up and message me privately, you know, feel free to let me know. But the only one I've ever heard Protestants try to quote is Tertullian. That's the only one they try to quote. That doesn't even really work in their favor. Um, so I think we've had a good discussion. I think we've both got our thoughts out. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time to be here with us um, and really to share your thoughts on this. And I do appreciate the back and forth. I appreciate that it's been respectful. I appreciate that you're on a search and a journey in your life. And I am too, and every good Catholic and Christian should be. Um, so I actually just want to thank you for coming on our show today and, and really doing this with us. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you. No problem. Yeah. Do you have any, do you want to conclude? Do you have any concluding thoughts that you would like to leave us with? Yeah. Um, you know, thank you for inviting me on the show. Um, I did bad. <laughs> I was not the best at like explaining my, my, my points. Um, just lots of things that I didn't even talk about, but um, one thing that I have to say is that, you know, we have to search the scriptures to see if things are, are true. We have to make sure that we don't contradict with the Bible and we have to make sure that we keep seeking God in prayer, you know, for him to reveal things to us and to show things with us as well. Um, so I just pray that your audience continues to do that. And, you know, I pray that, you know, we continue to learn and to grow, you know, Amen. And in conclusion, I would just say that I believe that the Catholic Church is the Church of Jesus Christ, that um, <clears throat> it's been here for 2,000 years. There's ample historical evidence of it, encyclopedias, history books, um, 30 popes before Constantine, all going back to the time of Jesus. Uh, you have all the, the, the earliest Christians teaching and preaching the Catholic faith, teaching Catholic doctrines, all going back to the time of Christ. You have the catacombs, which were the earliest burial. We talked about the persecution of the Christians in the first 300 years of the church. Well, a lot of times they had to worship underground and these catacombs were where they worshiped in the, because they were burial tombs. And we know that they were Catholic and go back to the time of Christ because they were popes buried down there and bishops buried down there and all these people buried down there. And they had pictures of Mary and the saints on the wall. They had the Eucharist um, and the mass celebrated down there, pictures of them painted on the wall. So, I mean, there's so much overwhelming evidence that Jesus started the Catholic church and it goes back to him. And the evidence is, we believe, additional because all of the churches that broke away from Christ, I mean, Martin Luther broke away in 1517. And it was just like a few, a little while later that Calvin's like, no, you got some stuff wrong, Luther, on the Bible. I disagree with you. You got the Bible wrong. And Zwingli is like, no, you both got the Bible wrong on these points. Only I'm right. And then, and then you have the Anabaptists like, no, you're all wrong. We're right. And then you have thousands and thousands of denominations. And Jesus started one church, one faith, one hope one baptism, not competing theologies and 
contradictory religions and teachings and stuff. And so I really feel that Jesus started the Catholic Church. And if we go by the Bible only, it's just going to be a mess because we're all going to come up with our own individual interpretations of it. And we have to go back. I mean, if you look at the Catholic Church's doctrines, they've never changed in 2000 years, because we believe it has the authority from Christ. So I think that's just what I guess, from my end, what I would leave um, the viewers on. And maybe we can have another debate in the future on another topic, but this is enjoyable. And uh, if our viewers out there want to ask us questions, feel free to put them down in the comments section. This may go up on YouTube. It'll definitely be put on our podcast. And feel free to put uh, questions down there. Uh, In the future, I hope to have these live so people can actually uh, ask great people like Anthony questions and people can ask me uh, questions and we can answer them. You know, have Protestants ask me questions, have Catholics ask people like Anthony questions and really just have a good discussion about these things. Because I think it's important to discuss these if you're open to the truth. What we really don't want are people like the lukewarm Catholics or lukewarm Christians who don't even care. They don't even know Christ. They They don't have the fire of the spirit in them. They don't have the passion that Christ wants us to have for the gospel because they don't care. I mean, even if we disagree, like we're both passionately seeking the truth, just as St. Paul did. And it's those people who have their sails up and the wind blowing, it's easier for God to guide them in the right direction. So thank you, Anthony. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I just want to say God bless you. No problem. Thank you as well. And God bless you too. Thank you.